Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Links and Locks Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello, and I'm joined this week by my co-host, as always, Nick Bretwish and Spencer Aguiar. This week, we'll be previewing the RBC Heritage at Hilton Head Island, South Carolina at Harbortown Golf Links. Guys, excited to have you here this week. Excited for a stellar field the week after a major championship that doesn't always happen, but this week, Harbortown is elevated to a designated event which means 17 of the top 20 players in the official world golf rankings are in the field. The only three missing are Cameron Smith because he's on live Rory McIlroy, who decided to withdraw from the tournament, even though he had a little bit extra rest after missing the cut at the masters. And then sadly, Will Zalatoris out for the year, had some back surgery this week. Hopefully he's back and healthy at some point during next season, hopefully around the new year. But guys, tons of talent in the field this week at a course where we haven't seen most of the top players throughout the PGA Tour's history. But this week, we're going to have some opportunity. We're going to learn something. And it's a course that's not super long, so there could be some chaos. So before we get into our outright bets, give me your best bets. Spencer, we'll start with you. Oh, Roberto, we were talking about this off the air. This is not my favorite betting card. I know you guys have much bigger cards than I do this week, but I guess I'm going to go with a head-to-head wager, although there is a top 40 market bet which is funny enough on the same player. I guess that we'll get to later, but let's say Cameron Davis minus 115 over Nick Taylor as my best bet this week. All right, Cameron Davis, a guy who really struggled to start this year, had a couple top 15 finishes recently. You're going to the well with Cameron Davis. Nick, who do you have this week as your best bet? I am going to go away from the placement market due to being a little bit ice cold there, which is frustrating, but I'm going to go Mr. Course History, Mr. Short Porch himself, J.T. Poston over Denny McCarthy, minus 110 both ways there. I'm going all over J.T. Poston this week. All right. Excited to hear you break that one down in a minute. For my best bet this week, it's getting ugly. We faded this guy a few times earlier in the podcast, but today I've turned all the way back around on him because of the course history and the course fit. And I'm going to play Luke Donald plus 115 to make the cut. He Hits the ball absolutely nowhere, but this might be the course for him. So before I get into that, Spencer, tell us why you have played your best bet this week. So I think Nick Taylor is a name that's going to be more popular than a lot of the counterparts, his counterparts that are in this range. We've seen him generate three consecutive top 31 finishes since the Valspar. However, I'm not convinced that Harbortown is the best stylistic fit for him to keep that run going. We have seen that historically with him missing three of the past four cuts here while also failing to land inside the top 55 during any of those other attempts. And then the weight of proximity helps to plummet him another 21 positions down in my baseline rankings. So I don't know if it's one of those spots that I necessarily expect him to miss the cut again, but he is outside the top 100 in ball striking and he ranked nearly dead last in this field when viewing his off the tee game at corollary courses. 
I obviously have some concerns with the safety that we're going to get here out of Cameron Davis. Uh, as you kind of just alluded to a second ago, Roberto, it's been a very shaky start to 2023, but I tend to like his potential at these club down spots. think it's one of the reasons why we've gotten back-to-back top 25 finishers from him in the past. And one of the reasons why I give that answer is he is very inaccurate off the tee. We know that. But when you put him in these positions where he can club down and let him use his weighted proximity or just his overall proximity in general, specifically from this like 125 to 200 yard range, he's seventh in my model when looking at that distance. So I think it's a really good course setup for him to potentially shoot himself up the leaderboard. And I'm just not necessarily buying what Nick Taylor has produced recently. Like obviously the short game looks really good. He's going to be inside the top 15 on my model there, but It's very discouraging when you're looking at a golfer that is outside the top 100 in ball striking at a course where I think ball striking is very, very pertinent for guys that are going to find success here. I agree that ball striking is at a premium this week, as it is every week, but more so here because you can't overpower the golf course with these sharp dog legs and it's a positioning course as well. And another reason to devalue Nick Taylor, as you said, the short game is really a strength for him, but this is one of the easier places around the green on the PGA Tour as well. Yes. Nick, break down your pick after Spencer's fading another Nick. Yeah, so Poston, this course obviously does him very, very well. I think three top tens in the last four years missed the cut in 21. But other than that, everything looks fantastic. I just love who he is right now. He's having the best ball striking year of his career. By far the best strokes gains approach that he's had all year long, and especially from that mid-iron level of 175 to 200. And a little bit shorter, too, on some of the holes that won't rely on that as much from the 150 to 175. One of the best ball strikers in the field that is not a top 20 player in the world. And then going against Denny, obviously, Denny could light the world on fire on the greens. He has lost strokes putting in the last two events. I don't expect him Mm -hmm. to have the putter continue to run cold this week as he's always gained strokes at this event. But I'm just going against, you know, JT Poston, who's probably playing the best golf of his career consistently against kind of a a landmine hit or miss guy that's going to blow up the greens or do nothing, in my opinion, and Denny McCarthy. So to get minus 110 aside on that, I'm I'm all for that. I, I have Poston at minus 140 in that matchup. Very quickly on that, like I tend to agree with everything that Nick just said there. And when you add to the equation that Poston's inside the top 20 of my model for par five average, the GIR percentage that he's going to bring into the table is very good compared to the counterparts in this field. So I think we know, and like I've made this joke before on the show, I never play Denny McCarthy and I'm usually trying to find ways to take him on. And I'm kind of in that same boat here. I've seen markets like him okay this week. And I mean, that's fine to me, but I think Poston's legitimately in this event. And I know this is a star studded field. Like to me, he's on this particular course, give or take a top 25 golfer. And when I can't say the same thing about McCarthy, who's outside the top 50 for me, I do think there's a nice little edge there. All right. I like that play. And I'm going to jump into the make the cut market with Luke Donald for my best bet, plus 115. Spencer, I know that back when the tour went to Riviera, we both faded Luke Donald in yes. his efforts to make the cut and maybe at Bay Hill as well. Luke Donald, before the tournament at Riviera, before the Genesis Invitational, had lost strokes gain on approach consistently. Since then, when I tried to fade him for the first time, he's gained strokes on approach in five consecutive tournaments, and he's done so pretty strongly with at least three strokes gained in all five of those tournaments. So we turned him around, and it's just in time for him to come in with strong form to a course where he's played in 14 consecutive years. I don't know how many other players in this field have done that. I would assume not many other than maybe Stuart Sink or Matt Kuchar. And he's got seven top three finishes in that span, so he knows his golf course extremely well. And he's already cashed top 40s at a few other places and big time events this year. I think he's got a decent chance to not only make the cut, but I also bet him for top 40 at plus 360. So a little escalator on Luke Donald. No, he's not going to win this week. Probably shouldn't bet him at 400 to one outright, but I think he's got a higher floor than others. And if he just shoots five under par for the whole tournament, that might do it for us. So I'm taking a chance on the old guy, the Ryder Cup captain for Europe to continue his steady play and we know that his short game can bring him home this is one of the courses on tour that is the least rewarding for distance off the tee and that's going to be a common theme throughout my card this week so guys now that we've gone through our best bets let's get into our outright betting cards spencer i'll let you start it yeah to me this feels like the epitome of a massively juiced up board that 
frankly lost all its value when Rory McIlroy pulled out of the event. I've noticed that books plummeted odds for everyone after his departure. I run things in my model to try to take an aggregated hold percentage at, you know, three or four books that I look at. I see 155% spread out across those books there. So for anybody that's unaware of that answer, that's about as high as you're ever going to get. There are ways to find value with high hold percentage tournaments when discussing certain events. I think the Valspar where Taylor Moore won would be a really good example of that. Sometimes you can get these outcomes where high-end players in those fields slide too far. But these elevated events, to me, are becoming borderline unbettable from an outright sense. I kind of feel like we're essentially dart throwing at the top 10 or 15 names and probably not getting the right price to do so in a lot of these situations. But I do have one bet on my card this week. It's a player that I can't seem to stop betting at this point. And I took Tony Finau at 29 to 1. We continue to see him lack this high-end appeal in 2023, but I think that's why there's value in this situation. I view him as a very similar option to Patrick Cantlay, Colin Morikawa, Cameron Young, Xander Shoffley. I think those are all names that can win, but the fact that Finau has drifted out further than those options at a handful of the books in the market, at least to me, is expressing that there is value in this situation here. My model has him ranked second in the field over the past 24 rounds in way to tee to green. And then there were only four golfers in this field to grade inside the top 45 in all four critical strokes gain metrics. For reference sake, the other three would be Cantlay, Homa, and Sungjae. But I can't really find many weaknesses for him past his accuracy. And that might be the one difference here, Roberto, that you and I have on our cards is mm -hmm. I understand that it's a club down spot where everybody's landing in the same position, but... I do think that there's something to be said, and you even said it at the beginning of this is the point I keep going back to. We have never had a tournament at the RBC Heritage that is this star-studded. I'm not saying that players are going to pull out the driver and start playing this course differently. They're not going to, but there's also going to be some change with the strokes gain metrics historically, just because we have better players here than years past. And mm -hmm. I think Finau's game really fits into this tournament, and when we look at it from a strokes gain, or at least a weighted strokes gain tee to green perspective, he's second in my model over the past 24 rounds. He's also, when you take the putting inside the top 15 for me over the past 24 rounds. So like something has to give in this position here. He's playing too well to continue to not provide top 10 finishes. It's kind of landing in this top 25 range and never doing better than that. But the one thing that I've steadily have noticed that keeps driving him back is just the inaccuracy off the tee that he's providing. I think this is the perfect spot for him where he's big and he's strong. He can find clubs that are easier for him to find the fairway than some players in the field. Like he'll be able to hit irons off of some of these tees. And to me, that's kind of the exact recipe that I'm looking for to try to locate a winner here on a board where the top 13 players in my model essentially have all the win equity and you're having to pay up for all these prices to do so. And I kind of think any of those 13 names can win, but there's just very few that you can find value on at this moment. I think statistically, you lay out an awesome blueprint for Tony Finau this week. It's just kind of an anomaly to me that he has been so consistent this year on the tour, yet he really hasn't been in contention since the fall. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a good point about that. And it's one of those things where... I all obviously trust my numbers in all these situations and I will keep going back and keep going back and keep going back until I get a reason not to do so anymore from a value perspective with it. But I am kind of confused how the finishes are not better because the statistics are amazing. Yeah. Like I can find problems in the games and why he's falling apart in certain areas, but from like a start to finish of where the numbers are, I think everything looks good. And, and I think he might be sitting on a big result in one of these events to where I mean, you could make the argument that he hasn't been up there for a while and maybe he doesn't just go all of a sudden up there and win again. But I don't know. I kind of tend to think that this is the exact sort of a venue where I would expect him to find success. And it's the same answer I gave for Cameron Davis of this club down spot. It's the same answer I would give a little bit for Cameron Young. It's like put me in that weighted proximity zone of 125 to 200 yards. Yeah, you lose a little bit off the tee from those players. But the one interesting note about Finau that I have been noticing for the last... I mean, I guess let's call it the last 18 months, but specifically the last 12 months, he is not the same off the tee player as he used to be. The distance is not quite as high as it used to be. The off the tee returns are not as good. So I actually think that you remove some of the importance on distance here. 
I don't know if that has anything to do with he thinks he needs to hit the ball longer and it went wayward on him or what the problem was there. But uh, to me, it's like make the game simple. And this is going to make it very simple for him to where he is one of the best all around complete players on the PGA Tour, in my opinion. And I think you make a great point because we kind of assume Tony Finau's strength is off the tee, just given how absurdly long he is, how he's probably the most long and athletic just in height player on the PGA tour and the only player on the PGA tour who had division one offers to play basketball at the schools like Utah state and university of Utah. But in his last, let's see, five starts hasn't gained more than two and a half strokes off the tee in any of those starts. But I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head here with him being able to club down, maybe put an iron or a five wood in his hands off the tee. When you look at every other part of his game, it's really strong right now. I really like this pick. I'm going to have to think about potentially adding this one to my card because I do have some room. I just uh, want to add one more thing to that really quickly before we move on here. And, and it just goes back to the driving distance answer that I'm giving. And I always give this answer on this show. I run things from a two-year regression standpoint in my model. So that's going to take some of 2022, some of 2023 to provide this answer here. He is 33rd in this field in driving distance. That's not the Tony Finau of years ago. And I'm not so sure why that answer is. I'm a little bit confused of what has caused them to go in this opposite direction. Cause it's not like the accuracy has gotten substantially better. It's not one of those positions for him. So to me, this is one of those ideal courses to where this might pop for him. And that's kind of just where I stand this week. Tony Finau played here in 2020 when the tour had its, I think it was like its second start after the restart due to COVID and he also played in 2015 and 2016, no better than T33 in any of his starts, but off the tee in every single one, he gained at least 0.47 strokes per round here. So consistently solid and in a similar range. So I think that your hypothesis of him being stronger off the tee this week and that giving him more win equity, I think it's pretty strong. Any other outright plays for you this week, Spencer? No, that's that's going to be it. I, I do agree with you. This is a very good, I'm hoping at least, in tournament perspective of us maybe being able to find some outright bets and you know some of those players for me that I would like just I'll name a couple here like I think Sung JM is an interesting name to keep an eye on I'm going to keep an eye on Cameron Young Colin Morikawa there's a couple other names Xander I think you could make the argument for but let's just see where things go on Thursday night Friday night and my goal is because I have a wide open card at this point if you could promise me that I could add two of Xander and Sungjae. That would probably be the ideal way for me to do this. Like I'd be all in on that route. All right. Well, I also share some of those sentiments, but we'll touch on that after Nick shares his outright card here. I got a couple for you. So Tony Finau's on there. So I was just sitting loving everything about that. And honestly, almost everything that Spencer said, I like Xander Shoffley for the same exact reasons. I count this course a little bit to where Xander won at the Travelers. He's fine on club down courses. In my anticipated numbers here he is the number one player strokes and approach from that mid-tier range that i was looking for he is on absolute fire in terms of ball striking right now he's getting around the green he's making putts so i certainly like xander i know the course history here he's been a couple years since he's played it's not good i think that's why we got a little bit of an inflated number i believe i have xander let me find the exact number here what i have met 21 to 1 so i got 25 to 1 i really didn't get that much of an edge besides on tony finau and xander in terms of the top of the board and if scotty and john rom be scotty and john rom maybe that's something we'll look at live but i'm gonna start us off with xander shoffley i also got a good number still in the market on tom kim at 40 to 1 my numbers seem to like him a ton debutants do fine here Obviously, his caddy's been around here a lot as well. Wyndham Clark at 120 to 1 is just a number grab. I spoke a couple of weeks ago on why I like Wyndham Clark at club down venues. Also, for some reason this year, he is one of the best iron ball strikers on the planet. I took a long shot on Nick Hardy at 380 to 1. Really don't expect that to get across a window, but that is my outright card right there. Is I had to get a little more weight on a long shot, and I have Nick Hardy at 205 to 1. So to get 380 to 1, I mean, again, it's kind of like betting Norin last week. That worked out horribly, but it was a number grab. I'm going to do the same with Nick Hardy. But I'm really interested to see what Xander or Finau do because I do think this is a tournament that they could win. So if you don't tune into the RBC Heritage this weekend and you tune into our podcast and you don't see Nick, it's probably because Nick Hardy won the golf tournament. And Nick Hardy. Hopefully it works out for you. Yeah, um, if Nick Hardy wins, I, I will disappear. <laughs> 
So I played Xander Shoffley last week, and I love the statistical profile for him this week. I haven't bet him yet, but he is on my very short list of people whom I'm considering. The course history was not ideal, as you mentioned, and just him not playing here the last couple of years also gave me some pause. But it is the week after a major, and there has been a lead up to these majors quite often, especially this year with all the designated events. So I'm not reading too much into that, but I'm still thinking about it. He has stayed around 25 to one since open. So I am very much considering Xander Shoffley. And I'm also now very intrigued by Tony Fino, even though I wasn't beforehand, but the guys that I have bet, I have bet Colin Morikawa 20 to one. It's not the first time I bet Colin Morikawa bet him last week at the masters as well. He is the best approach player on the PGA tour. And his biggest weakness is his lack of distance off the tee. Lack of distance isn't a huge penalty this week. So I think that really suits his game. He's had some solid finishes here in the top 10 as well. Played here the last three years also. So, you know, he has made an emphasis to come here. And additionally, putting not rewarded on this course as well as other courses. And that's also another one of his two big weaknesses is with the flat stick. Although we do know he has the ability to spike with the putter. So I got him at 20 to one. I also bet... JJ Spawn at 175 to one. You can find him out there at 140 to one on bet 365 and the enhanced win. He like Morikawa is a shorter player who has the ability to spike on approach. And with the putter, the approach play hasn't been that consistent this year. However, in 15 starts on the PGA tour, his last two starts have been two of his three best on the PGA tour so far this season. And I think he should be closer to 90, hundred to one. So this is more of a number play where I just found a really solid edge. The interesting thing about Spawn is in like, so when you look at, for me, that distance between 125 to 200 yards, you get 10.7% more shots that come from that range, I believe. And really where the reduction comes from is from 200 plus yards. JJ Spawn, when we look at weighted proximity from 125 to 200 yards, 31st in my model. When we look at the proximity totals over two years from 200 plus yards, 115th. So you're really removing the worst part of his approach game and you're getting him into that range where he wants to be. I looked at him, maybe not from an outright perspective. I was trying to figure out a way to get exposure to him because my numbers did like him a little bit also. When ironically shooting this for upside, I don't know though. Like this is such a difficult tournament to me to where kind of like I said, like 13 players almost have all the win equity. It's just tough for me to try to find a different name with it. But I really like the spawn call in some capacity, but I haven't figured out exactly what that is to make a wager for myself on it. I'm also looking for potential matchups with him, but I haven't found any that I like. So maybe there'll be more opportunities in the coming days as more markets are available in these spaces. Guys, I also wanted to touch on just a couple of more narratives and trends this week because it is somewhat of an unprecedented week on the PGA Tour with this being the week after a major and most guys not playing. You can look at the history of players who've won this tournament and their odds to win beforehand. And... They are much longer than the player who wins this week, most likely. And Spencer touched on it that this week you've got more big names in the field and it's going to be tough to beat those guys. So maybe a J.J. Spawn, who's won a tournament like the Valero Texas Open, wouldn't have won that week had there been all the players in a designated field. This week, not a long course, so we know that's a little bit of a neutralizer as far as the elite length off the tee that top 20 players in the world really all have. But how are you guys looking at course history? Because a lot of guys haven't played this event recently among the top names. And if you do have course history on a player, are you somewhat minimizing that given that the fields haven't been as strong? Spencer, I'll start with you. I did not put much of an emphasis on it. I think it lands somewhere in the middle of all courses. And and that's also coming from an answer of we have not seen fields historically this strong before. So mm-hmm. I don't know, in general with this venue, like even beyond just a course history standpoint of it, I found this to be very challenging when running numbers. Like... I don't want to go too much into all of this again, but like on paper, it's a highly strategic layout because of the reduction in driving distance. But it kind of goes back to the answer that I keep giving of the Finals and the Davises and the Cameron Youngs. Like, find me the golfer that is strong enough to club down and easily find a fairway and then find that proximity range from 125 to 200 yards. So it's like a two-step equation that I'm looking for. And one of the ways I did that was trying to find corollary comp courses, like more so than... Harbor Town in particular, like find me courses that I thought had relatively similar success rates. So like 
and I'm not a comp course person. Like I want to throw that out there. This is not usually something that I do, but like, to me, it would be a course like Innisbrook somewhere mm-hmm. where I think it's a club down spot to where you're able to, you know, play that sort of a game. Like I don't care about inaccuracy off the tee in the grand scheme of that answer. Like it's a lot different at Torrey Pines or a different course, like a really long course. Like you're going to be more inaccurate off the tee. I want to find similar courses. So I took like 10 that I thought were relatively in the same general area of it. Distance, maybe the same, maybe tree line venues, places where I could club down with it and find players in that regard with it. But like, that's more so to me how I looked at course history rather than Harbor town course history. I think that's a smart way about of going about it. In addition to Copperhead, and you also mentioned the Travelers, which I believe is TPC River Highlands. What other courses were in those 10, sir? There was a handful, like Sea Island was another one that I used that I thought was a big one. TPC Sawgrass for one of them. That one might not be as great as some of the other ones, but it's one of those things where it's just, like I keep going back to it's a difficult answer and maybe that's why I don't have a betting card that I like this week. While I was another one, I think that's one where you have a condensed nature that you need to find fairways there. But it's just like, to me, when you get something completely different, that's a good thing for betting, but it's also a bad thing when it's so different in the way where one players that come here historically are not the top players in the world. And then two, when now you're putting the best players in the world here, it's such a different style. Like I said at the beginning, I don't expect players to start hitting driver here, but I do expect there to be a difference in the returns in the strokes gain metrics. So it's like, this is probably the smallest card I've had from a betting perspective for that reason. And I kind of generally think that sportsbooks got it right, which is the (laughs) unfun answer to give here. But It's very hard when it's an elevated event where all the big names are playing the big names in head-to-head matchups. And then when you do have like these fade candidates that I'm looking to take on, I think books got it right of who they placed them against. Nick, what are your thoughts on the RBC Heritage this week and maybe any course history, how you're modeling that and similar courses? Yeah, I mean, I want to echo everything that Spencer said, but I really built it most off of TPC River Highlands. I know that's more of a a little bit of a putting contest where we see strokes gained on the green are significantly more important than they are here at Harbor town. But all those iron shots are coming from the same proximities that we like here. It is very tight off the fairway. So you got to be accurate off the tee par five scoring is still important there too, which, you know, no one really talks about at Harbor town. So other than that though, I, I'm, I really agree with everything Spencer said. I think when people are talking about course history and things like that, I know that Spencer and I personally don't put a ton of value into that. I know I just use it for support of JT Poston, but when there's this many great players in the field, this many people that haven't played the venue in quite some time, I just think it's a big question mark. And, you know, to tell yourself you have an edge, I think you're kind of playing with fire there. And I agree with Spencer. I think the sportsbooks did a great job this week. All of the matchups are very hard. Really, the only reason I took Poston is because he's playing the best golf that he has been. And I can't say the same for Denny. And then obviously, course history backs me up there a little bit. But other than that, it's it's pretty tough. So for me, it was more just number grabbing and, and hope that I have a bit of an edge there. And then wait to see how it plays out in the live market. This is a really weird answer to give because I'm going to go for and against both of these comments here. But I think generally when we look at course history, and this is why Nick and I are not into course history more than anything, you get these overvalued commodities that are given from the sports books to where the public wants to back somebody just because of the course history. That's when Nick and I tend to be out. I actually think that there is something to be said about course history in a position like JT Post in here. I don't see markets reacting the way that they should for him. And and that to me is a mistake. So it's a double-edged sword with that answer, because obviously, like I'm saying, sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't, but it's one of those spots to where I am not going to overweigh it in a model, but it is there enough to where if a player like JT Poston has the course history, but, and the but part of this is the important part, he also has the stylistic statistical fit to go with it. So where I can look at it because there's certain golfers that historically I've looked at and I've run a model and they've been really good at a course. And I'm like, I don't understand why that's the answer. And then they missed the cut for that reason. Like Poston has both of those edges there. He's really good from a course history standpoint, but then the metrics show me why he has been a good fit here. And I have no reason to believe that's going to stop because then the third part of the equation is the current form that he's bringing to the table. So he checked all three boxes and 
that's more of where I'm going to use course history. It's never going to be the only reason why I play somebody, but it will be enough in this position where Poston is clearly undervalued. And we know course history, not as sticky at some courses than others. So always something to consider, but it can be something that helps boost your profile, but it can't be your entire profile uh, for why you like a player. Bunsing last week, an example of a course in Augusta National that has some really sticky course history and a guy like Phil Mickelson finishing in a tie for second. Just pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, um, Patrick Reed balled out too. So, you know, I mean, it means something there. Yeah, exactly. Guys, let's get past our outright cards. Spencer, tell me everything else you got on your card this week. So I have three more placement bets. And then I also have a bet 365 finishing position market. I'll start in the placement here, though. I took Cameron Davis to come top 30 at plus 360. I think this is just an inflated price because of the recent form. I've also noticed, and I'm not saying that this is correct, that a lot of books in the space are about half of where this is right now. So to me, the number should have landed somewhere in the middle of the plus 180s that are out there and the plus 360 that I got. So I had about 80 points of value on that number. I just think it's a really good number grab. He's provided two top 25 finishes at this track in his career. I talked about it earlier. He ranks seventh in weighted proximity. I took Gary Woodland at plus 140 to come top 40. He's a golfer that I've noticed really in 2023. The numbers have started to turn around for the better. The short game, the putting, that still leaves something to be desired. But the ball striking returns place him inside the top 20 in this field over the past three months. And then Steven Yeager plus 150 to come top 40. I don't know what the ceiling is for Yeager here, but the recent off the tee returns are highly encouraging for a golfer that is one of the better scramblers in this field. To me, this is nothing more than a number grab for a player that I do believe is going to land inside the top 40 here. And I had him as a pretty good chance to make the cut compared to a lot of the golfers that were around him. So I took those three and then the bet three, six, five wager was Gary Woodland 57th or better at minus 120. So that's kind of just doubling down on the Gary Woodland call a second time. Nick, how about you? I like Gary. Your card? I, know you I like Gary. So one. Gary ranks ninth for me in the expected strokes gain from those uh, proximities there. So ball striking is back to his youth. So we like that. All right. To the card. I'm going to start with uh, the bomb of the week, I guess, is Nick Hardy top 4310. My numbers seem to really like him. Obviously, a lot of that's going to come from that those uh, iron play of the proximities from 150 to 175 and 175 to 200. KH Lee, top 40 plus 175. I think he's a perfect fit for this course, starting to come into form a little bit. I feel like most of the time, even in an elevated event, we'd see KH Lee right around the 150, 155 mark. I have him at 135 here, so 40 points of value on him. Wyndham Clark, top 40. I think I'm just a homer at this point. I really don't need to say anything more about Wyndham Clark. Again, just love his ball striking, love his iron play. I had him at plus 115. The number in the market right now is plus 160. And then need your guys' thoughts on this one. I think Keegan Bradley is slowly playing fantastic golf, like all around. Every part of his game is pretty solid. Plus 115, top 40. I have it at minus 110. So just 25 points of value. I usually want 30. Are we doing a pod play on Keegan Bradley top 40 plus 115? I guess I'll answer this question. So I like Keegan Bradley also and had value on the number. I have been very concerned with some of these placement cards for myself. Anytime I go into this range where they're anywhere near even money or a little bit above or a little bit below, I swear like I'm doing better on plus 200 plays. And I know that's not like a legitimate answer. If there's value on the play, there's value on the play, but there's also a bigger exposure risk to get down the amount that I want in that spot. So I don't have a problem with it, but that's my only concern. Cause what do your numbers look like, Nick, from the past, let's say 24 rounds, 50 rounds. I don't know what you have. Keegan grades out 19th in terms grades, of the ball striking. He grades out 21st for me overall, but I did have some negative trajectory returns when it came to his approach play from some of the specific distances that I am looking for just over the last little bit. Like if I'm looking from a two year duration of time, top 10 for me, if I'm looking over the course of like the past 24 rounds, he slipped to outside the top 40. I don't know exactly what tournament might be pulling that. That makes my numbers different than yours there. But that was the only thing that I saw that was marginally a concern, but I mean, the I, players other than that, nothing else is bad. The Sony might Open, be the one event bad, that's just completely tanking it. Cause like that's maybe the so, other Sony open with yeah. the, with the short porch there. Yeah. I don't know. He looks yeah, good for me. Yeah. 
like I said, he's 21st in my models. So, I mean, it's hard to complain about it. So, guys, one thing on Keegan Bradley. Of course, I'm a big Keegan Bradley fan after what happened in Japan. But he has played 11 tournaments on PJ Tour this year. He's missed three cuts. But in the eight events in which he has made a cut, he has finished no lower than 34th. So, by that logic, top 40 is probably the way to play him if you want to back him and you expect him to make the cut. I think that his approach play gives him a relatively high floor, gain strokes on seven straight events, and has gain strokes around the green in two straight. Had some pretty tough weeks at the Sony Open where he just lost all around. So that was a forgettable one and had some rough putting at the Genesis. But Riviera, we know, pretty tricky there. This week, with the greens being much smaller, it favors the players on approach, and it's a relatively easier around the green course as well. So I think all of that favors him. And even though his approach numbers the last two tournaments haven't been spectacular, he's still been solid gaining strokes on approach. So I do like the top 40 play on Keegan Bradley. Can you remind me what number you had on him? 115. Plus 115. I think yeah. I like it. I think I'm going to have to add that yeah. one. Pod play. All right. In pod play. Anything else for you, Nick? Nope. That is it. Just hoping uh, Nick Hardy finds his way into the top 40. Maybe wins this thing would be fun. All right. We'll see if Nick Hardy can pull through for the pod. Going through the rest of my card, we mentioned Luke Donald to make the cut. I also had him for top 40 plus 360s out there. I'm also playing Matt Wallace for top 40 plus 160. I like Matt Wallace's game. He's a relatively streaky player, but he was really going through it the last couple of years. But he's turned a corner in the last few months. Of course, he won a few weeks ago at the Corrales Punta Cana Championship. And I said he's streaky. He's gained strokes on approach in each of his last five starts. And that doesn't even include the win at Punta Cana, where I think it's safe to say he gained strokes on approach there as well. Top 40s in four of his last five starts and a tie for 18th here last year, where he gained strokes in all major categories as well. I think he's someone who just a little bit out of sight, out of mind with his win coming at a little bit more of a low-key event in an opposite field, and then also not being as well known here in the States as he is for people who follow the DP World Tour. So for him at plus 160, I thought that should have been closer to plus 125. I think there's a little bit of value there for him. Also, I did something that I don't really do, but I put together a make the cut parlay. I was shocked this week when I saw that John Rahm has more wins than missed cuts in his professional career. Awesome. And he has a T33 here in his only start. So I put him in here at minus 700. I put Matt Kuchar at minus 300. He's 18 for 18 in made cuts at the RBC Heritage. That's just absurd. And for him to be minus 300 this week when he is playing really solid golf, top 10s in each of his last two starts, I think that number should be closer to minus 500 this week. So those are my two favorite legs of the parlay. If you want to include Luke Donald in it, I think that also makes sense. But for the books that allow to make the cut parlay, Luke Donald didn't have odds. So I couldn't add that to my parlay. So for now, John Rahm, Matt Kuchar, I also threw in three other players whom... I either have a ticket on to win outright or I am very bullish on and I'm considering playing them live or before the tournament. I already mentioned one in Colin Morikawa. His approach play just gives him so much room for disaster on the greens and around the greens that I think he can still make the cut. Xander Shoffley has a couple of finishes in the 60s here, which if there was a leg I would drop from this parlay, I think it's him. He's elite all around, but especially on approach and he's three for three on made cuts here, but not all of those were great finishes, but I do think he's statistically awesome right now. And that's why I bet him last week at the Masters where he finished third in strokes gained approach in the field. And finally, Victor Hovland, tie for 20 in his only appearance here in 2020. Victor Hovland's also someone I want to get y'all's opinion on because I think he's going to win very soon. I've got a little bit of FOMO, which well, I haven't played him yet, but I also haven't ruled out playing him before the tournament. But his short game really looks stronger to me by the eye test and with this being a relatively easier course around the greens, I think that also suits him. Generally, anytime I favor, I think Colin Morikawa suits a course. I think it's similar scenario for Victor Hovland and why okay. he could succeed at the same course. But Victor Hovland's a better putter than him right now. And if his short game is coming up and he's longer, I don't know, maybe I should be playing Victor Hovland instead of Colin Morikawa. I like Victor Hovland from a safety perspective. And, you know, we could really juice up this parlay. We yeah, can have Nick add one, I can add one, and we can... Uh, we can turn this into like a 10-teamer before this is all said and done. I don't know if Nick has a name on the top of his head right now. So for these five guys, it's plus 182. But Nick, who would you consider adding or who do you think is really safe this week? Give me Tom Kim. I love Tom Kim this week. Yeah, let's do Tom Kim just because it's not super volatile and 
should juice the odds a little bit. But uh, real quick on uh, Matt Wallace, you have not read Spencer's Best Bets article yet, have you? I've not. Matt Wallace has mentioned. Just putting that out there. But yeah, um, let's go with Tom Kim. Okay. So if you add Tom Kim to this current parlay, which was plus 182, it becomes plus 282. So it's free money. I think that one's got to be added there. I'm going to add one that's going to really push this up. I don't know what it is at this book that you're looking at, but let's do Siwoo Kim. Oh, I like Siwoo Kim. All right. We're at plus 442. I like it. I don't, I don't like betting parlays where you can't, you don't have a big return, especially when you got a bunch of minus numbers in there. So I like those additions. Siwoo Kim, obviously a player who has had a ton of success on other Pete Dye courses, a guy who finds a lot of fairways and very similar to Tom Kim in that he finds a ton of fairways. Tom Kim can hit the driver where other guys are hitting the three woods and three irons this week. And we've talked about how Tom Kim has had success at courses where Webb Simpson's had success. And we know that Webb Simpson, a winner here at the RBC Heritage as well. Let's add Webb. That's <laughs> all I need to that. hear. Don't Webb do that. Yeah, don't. No, don't. Do we can that. have an alternate version of the parlay with. Yeah, Webb. see, he's uh he's playing with Cam Young too. So is is Tesori doing uh double caddying or what? Carrying double two duty for Tesori. <laughs> it should. Here's a reminder that the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code Action. That's A C T I O N to get Bet365's exclusive sign up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet one dollar on any game, get two hundred dollars free. Fellas, any other plays this week before we get into our rapid fire? Not for me. I, like it's it's a very minimal card. It, it's going to be one of those events where I am going to take it in from an in-tournament standpoint, whether that's from a matchups or outrights or whatever it is. And I'm very tempted to want to add Xander and I'm very tempted to want to add Sungjae, but I just think it's the better route to go is just to stick to where I have personally and then See what happens, because like even Nick talked about it himself. I don't think we'll ever get a price on Rom or Scheffler after day one. Like they'd have to be so far back to make it actually bettable. They'll be 10 shots back and still be the second favorite. Like I don't want to play that game, but you never know what book out there will release something that is higher than it should be. And when that's the case, I would rather just keep the card open when I don't really have massive leans one way or another. Spencer, I also want to touch on why you dislike Matt Wallace this week. Oh, Roberto. I mean, there's there's a lot in my model that doesn't like him. Like to me, (laughs) Wallace is one of those golfers where it's not even so much that I don't like him. It's that I think he's been pushed up way too far from the recent run. I know that there's been three consecutive top 30 finishes, including the victory and the seventh place at the Valspar. But like if you look at it before that, there had been three missed cuts in four events. Like I'm more so am going to trust the long-term data with him than what we've gotten recently. Cause like the last 24 round version of him really good. He's like skyrocketing up my model in that regard, but there's a lot that worries me. The off the tee game is a concern. And even when I ran this from similar courses off the tee, he was only 97. So he didn't necessarily get that boost. I know he's found some success here with an 18th in 2021, but Kind of been a mixed bag here over the last five years of this event. Um, I don't necessarily love the par four average that I ran for ex- expectation. And then I worry about him from a bogey avoidance standpoint. I just think he makes a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And those mistakes can compound on a course where there are tons of water hazards. There are tons of sand traps. Like he's 99th in my model in sand save percentage. And that's the only other thing, I guess, like to go back to Keegan that worried me ever so slightly with a top 40 wager is I'm concerned that their short game in those situations end up causing them more damage than maybe meets the eye in these spots. So I'm also not a Matt Wallace person like at the end of the day here with some of these answers. But like to me, he was a person that I wanted to find a matchup against. I didn't necessarily find that situation like everything kind of just has him massively as an underdog, I guess. Like I thought KH Lee would have been an intriguing one, but KH Lee had ballooned out to over minus 140 or minus 150. And I didn't want to lay the juice there, but like, that's kind of what I was hoping. Like give me a minus 110 on KH Lee. And I was going to be all in on that wager. It's just unfortunate that a bet didn't come in that way. But to me, that's where an in-tournament head-to-head bet against him might be the optimal route that I am going to go. And that's where we differ here a little bit. I completely agree with your analysis. I think that where I differ from you is just the nature of his streakiness. 
And yeah. I think we're finding him when he's hot. And if you think he's overvalued, I think that's a very fair assumption to make. It's unfortunate we don't have the data from Punta Cana to really back up how he did that. But it'll be interesting to see. We'll learn something this week from him either way. So without further ado, let's get into our rapid fire for this week. Guys, who's got a better chance of winning this week? Scheffler or Rom? We've been going Spencer first. So now let's go Nick, you first. I'm going to go Rom. I think Scotty Scheffler is going to win this tournament. So I'm going to go Scotty Scheffler. My guy whom I bet on to win this week, Cullen Morikawa, or his playing partner this week, when they'll be playing a six and a half hour round, Patrick Cantley. Oh, man. I think Cullen is just a little too trendy. I'm going to go with Patrick Cantley, especially when people are talking trash to him. Patrick checks everything. I mean, so does Colin too, but I, I'm, I don't know. Everybody's talking about Colin. I'm going to go with Patrick Cantley when the public doesn't like him. Two top five win equity choices for me. I will go Patrick Cantley though. I agree, but I like the price on Morikawa better, which is why I bet him. Yeah. Jordan Spieth or Cameron Young. Cameron Young, a guy who in his first year here last year, first start here last year, nearly won. And we mentioned he has Paul Tesori, Webb Simpson's former caddy on the bag. Man, Jordy is in such good form. This one sucks. I, I was trying to fade Cameron Young, but dude, he I mean, he's in great form too. Oh, God. And he almost won. I'm going to go Cameron Young. I think he's a little less volatile than Jordy these days. This doesn't necessarily answer the question. I know Sharper Books, there's a matchup of these two, and this is just a matchup not to win. Uh, Sharper Books have pushed it in the direction of Spieth. I will pick Cameron Young. I was actually trying to find a way to take on speed this week. Um, mm. So it's a little bit different of an answer that Nick just gave, but I kind of, for a similar reason, I decided not to, because I don't want that star versus star battle where no matter what I think speed's price should be, he's still a top 10, 12, eight. I mean, like whatever you want to put him, like he's in that range to win this event. And I think that's getting highly too technical trying to take him on, but I will take Cameron Young in this situation. What aspects of Spieth's game made you want him to take him on this week? He's just so erratic. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best answer. So when I ran a comp course corollary trying to find it that way, he's 10th in my model and strokes gain off the tee at similar courses. Like that's really the reason why I got out of that game. But if you look at what he's been recently, uh, 75th in my model over the last 24 rounds in strokes gain off the tee. I think the putter is highly suspect at times. Like, obviously, we know the good end of it, of what he can provide. But if the ball striking goes south for him in some way, and all of a sudden he starts missing five-foot putts, it's kind of like that inaccuracy. Some of the proximity numbers worry me a little bit from that 175 to 200 range. And then I guess it just comes back to the off-the-tee answer. But I decided to not do that because he could win this event and I'm not really looking to take him on when he's a top 10 win equity choice for me. Like he's not some massive fade candidate. And that's the game that I played a couple weeks ago when I took Justin Thomas against Spieth and Spieth almost won the event and we might be in the same spot here. So like I learned that time. I, I just don't do well in these star versus star battles. Perfect transition. Justin Thomas or Max Homa? Max Homa for me. I'm going to say Justin Thomas. I also think Justin Thomas is probably the most likely person to miss the cut of like any of these top names. With that being said, if he turns back into Justin Thomas at some point, he's one of the best players in the world. I'm really intrigued to see him and how he bounces back this week from that frustrating finish on Saturday morning. But Justin Thomas, everybody's favorite person this week because he got Tiger Woods to continue his perfect made cut streak at the Masters <laughs> as a professional. So shout out to him. Matt Fitzpatrick. Guy who's mentioned that Harbortown is his favorite golf course in the world. This was before he won at Brookline last year for the US Open, so maybe it's his second favorite course. Him or Shane Lowry, another guy who's had a lot of success around here. I like Fitz. He struck the ball very, very well at Augusta. I know Spencer and I talked about him on Better Golf a little bit or under the radar type of play. I'm going to go with Matt Fitzpatrick. I think he's slowly starting to find his swing again. I know it's really just one great round or one great weekend of ball striking, but I'm going to trust his word on it. And he has lit up these greens before. So I will go with Matt Fitzpatrick. Yeah, this might be a bad answer to give because I'm kind of going back to just what markets are doing. Markets do not like Shane Lowry this week. And that concerns me to just like, I, I kind of was indifferent on him one way or another. And when I'm just watching everything go in the wrong direction, I will take Matthew Fitzpatrick, who I think was my pick to win this tournament last year. And I might've been a year 
early on that call too. So uh, Fitzpatrick is an intriguing player at this course. How about Sam Burns, winner a few weeks ago at the match play, or Tyrrell Hatton? Mm. Sam Burns. I had Hatton top 20 last week, and he just blew it away on Sunday. I'm mad at him. I don't necessarily... That's a hard play. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't necessarily love either, but I will also take Sam Burns. All right, well, one guy that someone here is going to love, Russell Henley or Matt Kuchar. Both guys are 45-1 to 1 this week. Honestly, I'm out on both. I always love Russ. Not going to play Russ this week. Matt Kuchar sub 40 to one on some books. What in the world is going on? Um, <laughs> it's course history. I, obviously he's in good form too, but who he's playing in the events that he was in good form in doesn't impress me. It's something personal for me and Kuchar. I don't really know what it is. I think it's just the way he looks. It just looks weird. And obviously the tipping stuff, <laughs> I can go on for, I'm getting on a rant. I'm going, can I push? Can I pass? I'll go with Russ. Cause I like Russ. That's easier. You know, if Russ does well, I could sleep at night. If Kuchar does well, it rubs me. I'll you know call off work the next day. It's just not good. <laughs> if the answer is who's going to win, to me it's Russell Henley. I think he's more likely to win this golf tournament. If we're talking about who's safer, it's probably Kucher. All right, to win this tournament, Chris Kirk or Webb Simpson? I'm gonna go with Webb now that he's playing with Cam Young. I mean, I have to go with Webb, right? Like it would be. <laughs> I don't hate Webb this week. Actually, I don't. I I think Webb. I mean, I mean, obviously, you look at the course history, like. Nick always says that he does not have win equity and he's not a player who wins. Look at 2020. This guy can win golf tournaments. He can win this golf tournament. Half the field had COVID or something that week. No, <laughs> not impressed. <laughs> well, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Links and Locks presented by Bet365. For more great golf content from our Action Network team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring our own Jason Sobel and the PGA Tour's Ben Everill as they quickly run down their top plays for this week's golf tournament. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com and the Action app for all of our great golf betting and DFS content. We're going to have best bets. we got tons of articles already breaking down what you'd like to check out, whatever markets you want to bet for the RBC Heritage this week. Spencer, I know you'll have more content this week at Action. Where else can we find your content in addition to here at Action? Yeah, so tomorrow I will hopefully have a round one play for everybody to consider. We'll see what the market looks like, but Matt Wallace will be on that short list of somebody that I am looking to take on. We'll see what the prices end up being. You can find a lot of the work that I put out in the space over at Rotoball, or you can also get my model over there. And then, yeah, you can find Nick and I together over on the Better Golf Podcast. Nick, where can we find your work this week? Yes, on Better Golf Podcast this week and then the Best right. Bets article on Action Network. Awesome. And so if you're not already, you can follow Nick at Sticks Picks. That sticks with an X. And you can follow Spencer at T Off Sports on Twitter. For me, I'm just here. I'm on the gimme again tomorrow. We hit on that Hovland first round leader last week. So hopefully we can keep it rolling. You can also find me next week on PGA Tour Live for the Zurich Classic. Maybe not the best event to bet, but we'll have that for you next week, breaking down any and all plays that we have next late Tuesday night release for wherever you listen to our podcasts thanks again to everyone who's tuning in and everyone who makes this podcast possible especially our producers noah sophia and matt good luck betting the rbc heritage this week congratulations to john rombackers last week and here's to hoping you hit the green action network reminds you please gamble responsibly if you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.